Book ten, introduction and chapter one of ten books on architecture. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fredrik Karlsson. Ten books on architecture by Vitruvius, translated by Morris Hickey Morgan. Book ten, introduction. One. In the famous and important Greek city of Ephesus, there is said to be an ancient ancestral law, the terms of which are severe, but its justice is not inequitable. When an architect accepts the charge of a public work, he has to promise what the cost of it will be. His estimate is handed to the magistrate, and his property is pledged as security until the work is done. When it is finished, if the outlay agrees with his statement, he is complimented by decrees and marks of honor. If no more than a fourth has to be added to his estimate, it is furnished by the treasury and no penalty is inflicted. But when more than one-fourth has to be spent in addition on the work, the money required to finish it is taken from his property. 2. Would to God that this were also law of the Roman people, not merely for public but also for private buildings. For the ignorant would no longer run riot with impunity, but men who are well qualified by an exact scientific training would unquestionably adopt the profession of architecture. Gentlemen would not be misled into limitless and prodigal expenditure, even to ejectments from their estates, and the architects themselves could be forced, by fear of the penalty, to be more careful in calculating and stating the limit of expense, so that gentlemen would procure their buildings for that which they had expected, or by adding only a little more. It is true that men who can afford to devote four hundred thousand to a work may hold on, if they have to add another hundred thousand from the pleasure which the hope of finishing it gives them. But if they are lauded with a fifty percent increase, or with an even greater expense, they lose hope, sacrifice what they have already spent, and are compelled to leave off, broken in fortune and in spirit. 3. This fault appears not only in the matter of buildings, but also in the shows given by magistrates, whether of gladiators in the forum or of plays on the stage. Here neither delay nor postponement is permissible, but the necessity of the case required that everything should be ready at a fixed time. The seats for the audience, the awning drawn over them, and whatever, in accordance with the customs of the stage, is provided by machinery to please the eye of the people. These matters require careful thought and planning by a well-trained intellect, for none of them can be accomplished without machinery, and without hard study skillfully applied in various ways. 4. Therefore, since such are our traditions and established practices, it is obviously fitting that the plans should be worked out carefully, and with the greatest attention, before the structures are begun. Consequently, as we have no law or customary practice to compel this, and as every year both praetors and adults have to provide machinery for the festivals, I have thought it not out of place, Emperor, since I have treated of buildings in the earlier books, to set forth and teach in this, which forms the final conclusion of my treatise, The Principles Which Govern Machines. Chapter 1. Machines and Implements. 1. A machine is a combination of timbers fastened together, chiefly efficacious in moving great weights. Such a machine is set in motion on scientific principles in circular rounds, which the Greek call kyklike keneos. There is, however, a class intended for climbing, termed in Greek acrobatikon, another worked by air, which with them is called pneumatikon, and a third for hoisting, this the Greeks named barolkos. 
In the climbing class are machines so disposed that one can safely climb up high by means of timbers set up on end and connected by crossbeams in order to view operations. In the pneumatic class, air is forced by pressure to produce sounds and tones as in an organon. 2. In the hoisting class, heavy weights are removed by machines which raise them up and set them in position. The climbing machines display no scientific principle but merely a spirit of daring. It is held together by dowels and crossbeams and twisted lashings and supporting props. A machine that gets its motive power by pneumatic pressure will produce pretty effects by scientific refinements, but the hoisting machine has opportunities for usefulness which are greater and full of grandeur, and it is of the highest efficacy when used with intelligence. 3. Some of these act on the principles of the mechane, others on that of the organon. The difference between machines and engines is obviously this, that machines need more workmen and greater power to make them take effect, as for instance ballistae and the beams of presses. Engines, on the other hand, accomplish their purpose at the intelligent touch of a single workman, as the Scorpio, or Anisocycli, when they are turned. Therefore, engines, as well as machines, are in principle practical necessities without which nothing can be unattended with difficulties. 4. All machinery is derived from nature, and is founded on the teaching and instruction of the revolution of the firmament. Let us but consider the connected revolutions of the sun, the moon, and the five planets, without the revolution of which, due to mechanism, we should not have had the alternation of day and night, nor the ripening of fruits. Thus, when our ancestors had seen that this was so, they took their models from nature, and by imitating them, were led on by divine facts, until they perfected their contrivances which are so serviceable in our life. Some things, with a view to a greater convenience, they worked out by means of machines and their revolutions, others by means of engines, and so whatever they found to be useful for investigations, for the arts, and for the established practices, they took care to improve step by step on scientific principles. 5. Let us first take a necessary invention, such as clothing, and see how the combination of warp and woof on the loom, which does its work on the principle of an engine, not only protects the body by covering it, but also gives it honourable apparel. We should not have food in abundance unless yokes and ploughs for oxen and for all draught animals had been invented. If there had been no provision of windlasses, press beams, and levers for presses, we could not have had the shining oil, nor the fruit of the vine, to give us pleasure, and these things could not be transported on land without the invention of the mechanism of carts or wagons, nor on the sea without that of ships. 6. The discovery of the method of testing weights by steel yards and balances saves us from fraud by introducing honest practices into life. There are also innumerable ways of employing machinery about which it seems unnecessary to speak, since they are at hand every day, such as mills, blacksmiths, bellows, carriages, gigs, turning lathes, and other things which are habitually used as general conveniences. Hence, we shall begin by explaining those that rarely come to hand, so that they may be understood. End of Book 10 Chapter 1